angels sit outside. Yes, I do play the ukulele. Drop G. Only it's a drop D because it's a tuned to baritone. There's a 43% chance now that you're from France, with a 41% chance that you're from the United States. And there's a good chance that you're between the ages of 40 and 55, which is the majority of my show, my listeners, but... It used to be that a more younger audience listened to my show. 
not sure what changed about that. I think it was me just talking about strictly mature stuff. I thought I always talked about mature stuff, but who knows? J-Book. That's J-Book. That's, that's what it is. That's J-Book. 
And I think the song is Well Oh Well. Could be mistaken though. I don't know. Um something like that. It, the, you know, the the title is in the in the lyrics somewhere. It's generally how it goes, right? You know? Unless it's a Deftones song. If it's from Chino Moreno, that's different. Chino Moreno is a force of nature out of himself. I don't know how he comes up with his lyrics. It's very otherworldly. But yeah. Alright. Thank you for joining me. I know that... been a rough road I salute you for your diligence and your integrity with being a sincere researcher and citizen for whatever country you live in and I apologize for the ignorance of my country my country's people in the US we've gotten so lazily used to the news telling us what's true and what's false but I listen to the news of other countries thank God I do and I found that India has probably the most sincerest media although they do have a mainstream media that lies too but they have you know um uh, non-mainstream media, which is awesome. Um, Germany is awesome. France is awesome. Italy. Yeah. I have some speeches from some doctors that I feel they were very important speeches. So I decided to download them. I'm going to play them for you. And I know that sometimes it's very hard to listen to. So I'll tell you what. If you get through this, after each session, I'm going to jam a ukulele song for you. That's right. Just for you. Thank you for listening. These are very important things. On the YouTube channel for these speeches, it only has like a couple hundred views. That's so not good. It's so wrong because these are very important speeches, like superly important. I don't think they know how YouTube works. Like, I don't think they understand that it's not just going to get like heck of views. Thing is, is that you got to have a, a viewership already. Anywho, without further ado, here we go. Our uh, third expert that uh, traveled from not New York or Michigan, but right here from the Pittsburgh area here in Pennsylvania, and has been with us before. We appreciate him coming back to the Capitol today to share his expertise. Dr. Lyons-Weiler is a research scientist, author, and president and CEO of the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge. Thank you, doctor, for coming. Thank you. Representative Metcalf, I want to thank the media for being here, and thank everyone online for sharing this across all social platforms. 
Uh, I'm an objective research scientist and I have two main points that I want to drive home. The first one is the number 21%. I want you to remember that number and write it down. It's a very, very important number to you if you're an American citizen. The second thing that, and I'll get to that in a minute, the second thing that I want to say is I'm not here in support of any particular bill. I run a not-for-profit, and I can't say yay or nay on my opinion. What my personal opinion is is muted, and I don't mind that, but I can condemn the politicization of your health, the politicization and the commoditization of the American citizen's health, Pennsylvania citizen's health, is not a commodity. It is neither a monetary commodity, nor is it a political commodity. And shame on you if you have changed your position or held on to a position in the light of evidence from data from studies that tell you that your position is wrong simply because you disagree with President Trump. Shame on you. You're hurting people. You're hurting society. You're destroying businesses. Shame on you. Now that I got that out, I can talk about some science. Okay. Historically, coronaviruses, uh, vaccines for coronaviruses have had a terrible safety record. Uh, there is a condition known as disease enhancement due to pathogenic priming. And this was discovered in vaccinated animals in past vaccine safety studies when they did conduct vaccine safety studies on animals on coronavirus vaccines, where vaccinated animals got more serious disease after being vaccinated, and then when they acquired an infection from the wild-type vaccine, more of animals got serious infections, serious conditions, and more animals died. In my peer-reviewed research paid for the citizens of the United States of America through donations to IPAC, prior to the development of any COVID vaccines, I found that all but one of the proteins in the SARS-CoV-2 virus have what we call unsafe epitopes. Right? which are parts of proteins that are capable of causing immune conditions, autoimmune conditions, and immune responses against proteins in our own body. This is peer-reviewed research, and I'll be happy to provide the press with reference after this. About a third of the proteins that might be targeted by autoimmune conditions by SARS-CoV-2 viral proteins, either through infection or injection, target the immune system. But from the start, it looks like this virus has evolved the ability to attack our immune system as part of its disease-causing capacity. This pathogenic priming, I, pre I predicted in my study which parts of the human body would likely be most affected by pathogenic priming. And now studies by medical physicians, by medical teams around the world are confirming my predictions. This is not simply a respiratory virus with, with respiratory uh, symptoms. This affects many tissues across the body, and there's some grave concern if you're going to get infected. But where's the grave concern if you're going to be injected with these same proteins? Not a single, to my knowledge, not a single vaccine manufacturer took heed of my warning to remove those unsafe epitopes from the vaccines before they formulated their vaccines. In spite of being emailed my study with a plea to please consider taking out those unsafe epitopes. Your body has 500,000 pe peptides throughout your life. The coronavirus has something like 28 proteins. What's the probability that there's going to be many proteins that match at small segments of immunogenic epitopes? Very high. We now have results from front-runner vaccines from these hybrid trials where they skipped over the animals' trials. FDA, in it absolutely ignoring safety margin in a stunning decision, decided to allow uh, 
Moderna and other vaccine manufacturers to skip the most important step in vaccine safety for coronavirus, which is the animal trials, to see if there's pathogenic priming, to see if this particular vaccine or that particular vaccine might cause serious problems through pathogenic priming. I, it's, un, it's, un, it, it's unbelievable that the FDA made this decision. And, you know, we, we made this specific recommendation that they do that in, the, in my study that, that I published. All right? Now what they're doing is they, they even said, well, we don't have to do phase one human trials and phase two human trials separate. We're going to combine them together because this is such a horrible epidemic. We need to get the science done fast. They're missing out on another opportunity to find safety signals, but they found them anyway. At the beginning of this time period uh, where, where I'm speaking, I said to remember the percentage 21%. The only single data point, the datum that we have on what percentage of patients, exposed human patients exposed to a coronavirus vaccine, have had serious adverse events is from the Moderna trial, and that number is 21%. 21% of people are having serious adverse events from this vaccine in that trial. The other ones haven't published their data yet to the point where we can understand that. Like, uh, like Dr. New said, they're supposed to be transparent. But, you know, I'm, I'm really upset as a professional scientist and as a citizen that our public health officials have not giving, given you the good word. The good word that is now absolutely mundane, routine medical care to take care of a patient with coronavirus. It is absolutely known that you should not put them on the full ventilator uh, pressure. That's what killed most people in New York City. It is absolutely known that corticosteroids now take care of the autoimmune-like conditions that people are experiencing that I predicted in my study. So those high incidences of autoimmunity from a treatment, not a vaccine, a treatment, a medical treatment, they're now routinely used across the United States. It's also known how to treat the uh, incidental coagulopathy, which only can be thought about as a, an outcome uh, of something wrong with the, with the viral proteins being in the body. And just this morning, I read in the journal The Lancet, their position is that antivirals are generally effective against coronavirus, COVID-19. The public needs to understand that tens of thousands and soon hundreds of thousands of medical doctors around the world are going to join me and others in condemning the politicization of coronavirus and public health in general, including vaccines. We have to understand that you know, we had came to get, we're going to come together and have come together with joint resolutions uh, about this political state to stand down on politicization of public health. Stand down on it, even if you're a public health official. Right? You need to be a scientist first and a qualified one at that to conduct public health, and you can't just repeat, regurgitate what the CDC has to say. All right? So now we have, up, we have really good news. Why do we not hear good news on treatments from our public health officials? Shame on them. They're keeping people in fear, intentionally. Why? It's fair enough to speculate that perhaps after the election we will see a disappearance of their concern over coronavirus. So those, of, those people who would like to add uh, coronavirus vaccine mandates to our society's response have to, have to understand a few things. First of all, it's a disproportionate response given the rate of mortality. If you're not over 70 years old, you have less of a chance of dying of coronavirus than you do from influenza, thank goodness. Uh, however, if you want to mandate coronavirus vaccines, 
understand that you're going to probably, if you're a medical physician, hear me well, if you want to reject 21% of your patients, and that's a low number, that's a lowball number, if you want to kick 21% of your patients out of your practice, be my guest, those patients are probably be better off without you. So the estimates of coverage that are required to be needed to protect the population from vaccine herd immunity are that, uh, and this comes from Paul Off at the Children's Hospital over in Philadelphia, uh, efficacy rates as high as 50% and coverage rates as high as 75%. The Pew report from the other day, a poll says that 51% of the population do not want this, virus, this vaccine. They won't take it. Not just that they won't take, be the first to line up, they won't take it. How are we going to get to 75% with only 51%? Well, we need a much more efficacious coronavirus vaccine. It is, not, it is imperative that we do not discount prior immunity in the population from prior exposure to coronavirus-like viruses or to coronavirus itself. And if you look at the infection case, the infection fatality rate, not the, not the case fatality rate where you get a diagnosis, you take the symptomatics and the asymptomatics and put it together, the statistic that was published in May was less than influenza. The press has learned that Yes, we're going to have a problem with long-sustained antibodies, but we've known that for coronaviruses from 1990. It's not new. The press has reported that. But the press now, and thank you for doing this, has reported that we have memory B cells and memory T cells in response to coronavirus, so our bodies will remember how to be uh, immune to these coronaviruses without having to carry around antibodies to everything we've ever been exposed of, expressing those proteins in our body all the time. That would be metabolically unsustainable. It's not how human bodies work. It's not how mammalian bodies work. So this mystery of public health officials not working to reduce concern can only be seen as political. And uh, please join me in condemning that. Our reaction to coronavirus has already been worse than the virus itself. A terrorist could never succeed as well at shutting down businesses with a bomb in the United States as we have by this ridiculous, inaccurate testing. Dr. Singhang Lee from Milford, Connecticut published a study that showed that the reference samples that are used to validate the COVID-19 test, 30% were false positives. When he sequenced the PCR product, 40% were false negatives. What are we doing with PCR testing? And if you test everyone in a population with a CT scan, you're gonna find cancers in everyone and you're gonna do biopsies on everyone at, at a rate where you're going to end up doing a lot of harm. Every person that has a false positive rate, when the infection rates are low, and there's something like 2% active infection, maybe, maximum, per year with coronavirus across the United States right now, every, we're going to have far more false positives, even if the false positive rate is just 1%. What does that lead to? It leads to contact tracing of those 14 people that you saw in the mall the other day. You're shutting down those 14 businesses, bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb, shutting down our economy. That's cruel. And then on top of it, we're bringing quaternary ammonium compounds into schools. I'm going to spell a name for you, H-R-U-B-E-C, Terry Krubik. The H is not pronounced, Terry Rubik. She did studies of these cleaners that we're bringing into the schools and we're spraying all over the schools every day or every week to fight coronavirus. She found in mice neural tube defects to the rate of 15% of the pups and a reduction in the reproductive capacity of both male and female mice of 50% with these qu they're called quats. Look them up, 
I just did an Unbreaking Science episode, look at hashtag Unbreaking Science, I interviewed Dr. Rubik yesterday. What are we doing to our children, exposing them to these cleaners that might shut down their reproduction, that might harm their immune systems, that might cause their children for two generations to be less reproductively capable, for two generations to have neural tube defects. Look up and think about what we're doing. Our society is messed up because we don't think about dependent consequences and we base our for-profit medical system on the externalization of costs on people like these families. She bears the cost, you all bear the cost. Let's bring liability back to the vaccine program in the United States. And the last thing I want to say, that the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program itself, I believe, is corrupt. I was an expert in that program, and I quit that program after a special master attempted to bribe me to change my testimony for payment. And you put that on the record. On top of it, the probability of anybody getting, uh, you, you have no chance in the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, because H, you, you heard earlier, HHS, determines which vaccine injuries are real, HHS is the defendant in the case. HHS writes its own ticket to what you can charge it with. It's like me robbing a bank and saying, you can't charge me for taking the 50s. I'm writing the rules in my own courtroom. That, that system is so, so backwards, it's unbelievable. So please, do your own research, look up quats, look up quacks, look up coronavirus, and I want to thank you, Representative Metcalf, for today. that. I hope you enjoyed that. That was very educational, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so too. Very educational indeed. Classic. That's a, that's a that was one that was out when I was a little kid. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very good one. James Nuschenwander. Nuschenwander. I think I threw in a, a little bit of a German pronunciation at the end there, as my wife would do, being from Germany originally. Um, but she would tell me I totally messed it up in that regard also. So, uh, Doctor, thank you. He, uh, he founded uh, Bioenergy Medical Center, a multidisciplinary integrative medical practice located in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he traveled from to be with us today. He's lectured nationally and internationally on a broad range of topics, including integrative approaches to immune system imbalances, disorders, detoxification, treatment of complex chronic illness, and the integrative medicine treatment of autism, ADHD, and allergies. Thank you, doctor, for being with us today. Thank you, Representative Metcalf. So you might want to ask yourself, what is a physician from Michigan doing in this beautiful Capitol building in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? And the answer is very simple. I'm here to support medical freedom and put an end to medical tyranny. So Representative Metcalf has introduced a bill that will enshrine your right to determine what is injected into your body and the bodies of your children. It'll stop the practice of medical offices discharging you simply because you choose not to vaccinate yourself or vaccinate your children. 
It'll prevent employers from tying your employment to your vaccine status. And most importantly, most people don't understand this, it'll stop the practice of bribing physicians with bonuses for vaccinating their patients and penalizing them for choosing not to. In a word, this is the kind of bill we need as a law, not just in Pennsylvania, but in every state in this country, and that is why I'm here today. I have watched our vaccine program go from 12 shots for about eight diseases in the early 80s when my children were young, to over 54 shots for 16 diseases today. At the same time, I've watched the health of our children decline to the point where over 50% of them are going to develop some type of chronic medical condition. I've also watched as they've established an adult vaccine schedule. Why? Because many adults are susceptible to these childhood illnesses because they've trained, they have exchanged the lifelong immunity of a natural infection with the false temporary immunity of a vaccine. And I've watched the health of America in general go from the top of the industrialized world in the 60s to the very bottom. And this is what has dragged me kicking and screaming into this world of vaccine safety and medical freedoms. But we got a pandemic on our hands. And that pandemic has opened the door and allowed people to view firsthand the process of getting a vaccine approved. It's kind of like having a front row seat to making the sausage. It hasn't been pretty. The AstraZeneca trial already has been postponed twice once for a case of multiple sclerosis, and one for a case of transverse myelitis. Just to let you know, that's like a polio-type paralysis caused by an injury to the spinal cord from inflammation. Now, despite the fact that the AstraZeneca Safety Committee determined that the MS was from an underlying condition and the transverse myelitis was not from the vaccine, the FDA has kept that trial on hold in the United States. Johnson & Johnson just last week had to pause their trial because of a severe mystery illness in one of their participants. Now remember, each one of these vaccine companies signed on to a pledge that said they would be completely transparent when they did these trials. They would hide nothing from the public to engender trust in the quality and safety of the product that they're making. Despite that, we don't know what that underlying condition was that determined the MS and whether that's going to be a contraindication to that vaccine. And we have no idea how the safety committee determined the vaccine didn't cause transverse myelitis. And just to let you know, this is extremely rare. Transverse myelitis is caused by viruses like polio, but it is a well-known vaccine side effect. In the case of the Johnson & Johnson case, we don't even know what that disease was. You know, transparency, give me a break. And now people are waking up to the fact that this vaccine might be mandated, and what about the long-term safety effects? How can you determine long-term safety in a vaccine that has taken months to develop? But for those of us that have been advocating for vaccine safety and for medical freedom for years, none of this stuff is a surprise. I personally have read, believe it or not, I did, I have read the applications that the vaccine manufacturers put in the FDA to get these vaccines approved. And if you look at the safety section of those applications, it's a joke. It's full of what I call junk science. So you don't have to look any further than the vaccine control group for an example of junk science. You know, a control group in a medical trial is supposed to allow you to determine what side effects are caused by your intervention versus what side effects would have just happened randomly. 
So typically a control group is an inert substance. It's a sugar pill or it's a saline injection. But right now, no vaccine in our current schedule, none of them, has been um, put through a prospective inert placebo-controlled trial prior to their approval by the FDA. None of them. They're all compared to other vaccines or they're compared to vaccine ingredients. We have drug trials. This would never uh, suffice in a drug trial. The gold standard is to compare a drug to an inert placebo or to another drug that has been compared to an inert placebo. That's the gold standard. But vaccines don't have to reach that standard. They're in this special magical category called biologics. So biologics are not subjected to the same safety trials that any drug is. And you all need to know that. They are not subjected to the same safety trials as any drug out there. So let me give you a couple examples of this junk science. The first is the MMR vaccine. So Glax GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, has an MMR vaccine that they use in Europe. They're trying to get it approved in the United States. So they underwent a trial, large trial, in which they published a paper earlier this year, and they said, no safety concerns. But when you look at the safety data, and by the way, you can't find it in the paper. You have to go to a supplement at a different site. But when you look at the safety data, 6% of these healthy 12-month-old babies developed a grade 3 systemic adverse event. This is the worst kind of side effect, 6%. 10% ended up in an emergency room within six weeks, and 3.5% of these healthy babies developed a new chronic medical disease within six months of vaccination. But no safety concerns. Why? because the control group had exactly the same numbers. Was that control group a saline injection? No. That control group was the current MMR2 vaccine made by Merck that is in current use today. So how did they determine safety? They took an MMR vaccine, they compared it to another MMR vaccine to determine MMR vaccines are safe. That's like taking a pack of Marlboros, comparing it to a pack of, of camels, seeing the lung cancer rate between both and determining cigarettes don't cause cancer. It's junk science. And you could say, hey, Dr. Neuentreiter, come on. The MMR we're in use today has been put through safety trials. It has never been compared to an inert placebo control ever. So now we know 3.5% of our children develop a chronic medical condition from the MMR vaccine. And the number one thing they develop, we already heard about, is eczema. This is not a skin condition. This is an immune system dysfunction. Well, let me give you a second example, Vaxalis. So Vaxalis is this new six-in-one shot approved by the FDA last year. Again, no safety concerns. You look at their data, 90% of the children that got this injection developed a systemic adverse event. And 16% of those systemic adverse events were grade three. So this is not a one in a million reaction. This is 16% of these kids getting this injection developed a grade three serious adverse event. But no safety concerns. Why? Same as a control group. What's our control group here? Saline, give me a break. The control group here is Penticel, which is a five-in-one shot, and hepatitis B. So they compared six vaccines in one shot to six vaccines in two shots to determine that six vaccines were safe. And again, none of those six vaccines has been compared to an inert placebo-controlled trial. This is junk science, my friends, junk science. So in order to try and put, get to the bottom of all this, Congress has multiple times asked the Institute of Medicine to look at vaccine and vaccine injury pairs to determine, does this cause that? 
And multiple times, the Institute of Medicine come back and said, there's not enough evidence for most of these pairs. We don't know. So finally, in 2011, Congress tasked the Institute of Medicine to determine what is the safety of our entire vaccine schedule? Are we better off vaccinating our children with the schedule or not? And in a paper published in 2012, Institute of Medicine came back and said, there is no evidence, zero papers, on what is the outcome of a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated group. The studies hadn't been done. They even chided the CDC for not doing these studies and declaring the whole schedule to be safe. So in response, the CDC came up with a committee of experts to determine could such a study be done using existing databases like the Vaccine Safety Data Link. That report was published in 2015 where they said, yes, indeed, we can do these studies. Then they even gave a specific example of how to use the VSD to determine if the vaccine schedule increased your risk of asthma. Have those studies been done? No. It's been five years the CDC hasn't done a single study. It would be so straightforward and simple for them to do these studies, and they refuse to do it. Why is that? I'll leave that up to you guys to figure out. People like me, we don't have access to these databases. There's no way we can do these studies. There have been two small studies comparing vaccinated to completely unvaccinated populations since that time, and both of those studies showed that vaccinated children are much sicker, much more likely to have allergies, asthma, eczema, ADHD, and yes, autism. 230 years ago, our founders wrote a constitution to create this nation, and it didn't get through the colonies. Why? because it didn't guarantee many of the basic rights for which they were fighting. They had to add the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to that Constitution, in order to get it through the colonies and create our nation. That Bill of Rights is under attack right now. You look at freedom of speech. How many of us have been censored on all the social media platforms out there? How about freedom of press? That's being dictated by the advertising dollars that pay for these television programs and the news programs. There's no freedom of press. And then we have states' legislators that want to chip away at this Bill of Rights by vaccine mandates and removing exemptions. But we got a big one looming on the horizon here. That COVID vaccine is coming. And it's going to come without any knowledge of long-term side effects. We won't know your risk of developing an autoimmune disorder, your risk of infertility, your risk of cancer. It's never been studied. We won't know by the time this thing is approved. And yet, many of us believe that these will be mandated. It's the only way you're going to be able to do this. And for what? For a disease that has an overall infection mortality rate of 0.26%? a mortality rate in healthy people of essentially zero? You gotta go a whole bunch of zeros before you get any number less than that. It's maybe one in 10,000, one in 20,000. That's 0.01%, 0.005%. I mean, the numbers are mind-boggling and we're gonna mandate this. It's time to side with people like Representative Metcalf to put these kinds of laws forward that enshrine our medical freedoms and put an end to this medical tyranny. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. We really appreciate you making the trip from Michigan today to share with us your, your expertise and your passion. Thank you so much.
highway. Yeah, that's a classic, isn't it? I didn't get it for him, but he now has a little tent hut thing where he can sit in and sleep in, and he loves it. And I put a little Faraday blanket around it so that way he doesn't get hurt by the EMF because of all the radiation going on. Yeah. Is that, by the way, if you don't know what Faraday is, look up Faraday, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y. Check it out. Ba da 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 da
True story. That's how it went. You can quote me on that. Well, you can try. Freestyling all this out, you know. <laughs> My two, I was very, very moved, and so was she, and so we danced all the way to Hawaii, and was like, 
fucking holidays and we don't give a shit about each other. Don't give a shit about anybody else but themselves. swam off perfectly fine and safe no thanks to anybody else but hey you know I can't mention it of course or else everybody will feel insecure and then they will judge me as though I'm only looking for appraisal when you know what god damn right it's good to be acknowledged when you do something damn good that everybody else should do. I think that's a very, very elemental thing, actually. You see, isn't it ironic? Nowadays, it's, it's looked, it's frowned upon to do something good because it makes everybody else feel insecure because they're not doing good things. And they want to have excuses to not care for one another. Which is pathetic. It's immature. It's grotesque. It's disgusting. Kind of disgusting people. Like, right? That's literally a factor in society now. Where it's frowned upon to do good things for others. Like, that is the most anti-Christ thing. Really. And even how your Casey put it. In his readings about the book of Revelation, when he was asked once, what is the nature of the Antichrist? He said, it will come as the Antichrist consciousness. It will be about taking over groups. It will be about self-love. And it would live even in the lives of men. It would be even in the lives of men. Meaning that people and everyday people would experience it. Hmm. And if we look at it, really, well, the Antichrist has always been the group herd mentality. After all, what was it that killed Christ? Hmm? Well, that would be the denial within the people that were in denial of looking at their own shames. And guilt, and um, and how they were in denial of the fact that they were punishing an innocent person due to their projection. That is the antichrist. It's the antichrist consciousness. And isn't it ironic that we would append the idea of it being just one person? Of course, we would, right? You know, because we each ourselves and our individual selves are only one person. So how could we see it as a group? 
But what was the opposite of Christ? The people that killed him. That was the Antichrist. It always has been. And after he was dead, we were so in denial about the factors that we had just witnessed, we realized in the historical event of him dying that something was very important about the event. Something that was very, very... But we couldn't put our finger on it. So what did we do? We glorified it. We made the sign of him a cross of his death to immortalize the fact that something very important happened. And we almost looked at ourselves as humanity. We almost looked at ourselves, but of course we projected the opposite of Christ ever since. Didn't we? Look at Christianity as a history. Right? A lot of death, a lot of murder, a lot of um, denial. The whole thing was denial of acting like Christ. Christ taught very practical things that if we were to take upon ourselves the actions and the practical logic that he taught, society would heal and be better and we would have a beautiful, abundant society of people that care for one another. In fact, isn't it more natural to the human soul, to the human heart? I say yes, it is the way that children act after all. But we have our excuses as adults. I think they are pathetic excuses, that is my opinion, but we're all entitled to our own. I just think that it doesn't matter if the book was a comic book or a cartoon, the logic still counts, the logic still applies, and is practical. And we are immature in our denial of that. And isn't that what the entire thing has become? The religion has become the denial and the looking away from the things that he taught. And we do anything, anything to look away from the practical things that he taught. We glorify the name. We chant it as a symbol and uh, image. And that's all good and fine, whatever, you know? But, I mean, at least have it equal parts of what he taught, you know? At least. I mean, I don't think that he came here to be worshipped. He came and he spoke up because he wanted to teach what he was saying, or else he would have never said it. It's pretty practical to me, right? And in those modems of sincerity, well, you know, we see the modems of insincerity. We see the aspects that come upon ourselves that are things that are denials of self, self-denial and self-forgetfulness, uh, I guess you could say. But the sincerity, the integrity of us, desires for more, desires for truth. It's not something that we have to learn so much that we have to unlearn and realize that the things that we did learn were false. We can let go of them. You've been listening to Starseeds, Angels, Savant Syndrome, with your host, the Mystic Man. Uumau, Ke'ea, Oka'aina, Yuka Pono. Oh, humanity.